0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito Com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's episode, we're talking about your Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about Ben Wallace joining the front office what we liked and didn't like about the Pistons' first preseason game, and we get Ben's live reaction to the brand-new court at Little Caesars Arena. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. to the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host lazarus jackson pleased as always to be joined by my usual co-host ben Gulker. what's up ben
1: laz ready to overanalyze the first and only preseason game we've seen so far how are you i'm doing well
0: uh yeah it is kind of weird that like other teams have played three preseason games and the pistons have only played one but i i guess that's just kind of what it is uh it's quite annoying, though. They play tomorrow. We'll get to that. We'll get to the first preseason game. I wanted to lead with what I thought you would appreciate as the biggest story of uh, the Pistons uh, week this week. Ben Wallace is officially joining the Pistons front office. He was uh, formally announced to have a role in the front office as a basketball operations and team engagement advisor, the team announced earlier this week. So Ben, Ben Wallace is officially rejoining the, the Pistons, what did you make of this?
1: Well, that's awesome. I mean, the <laughs> the title is interesting. It doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what he's doing. But, uh, look, I mean, he represented the team at the lottery. And, I don't know, it kind of feels like face of the franchise kind of role. And, look, I like that. I like, obviously, everything Ben Wallace represented while he was a Piston. I love that he came back and ended his career as a player with the Detroit Pistons. So yeah, I mean absolutely cool to have Ben Wallace around. Fan favorite, franchise favorite, uh, Hall of Famer. Makes a whole lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Team Engagement and advisor is like definitely a tell that like I I don't know what his real title is. I don't know if they couldn't put like Isaiah Stewart mentor like <laughs> in in his official title, right? Um but like you mentioned it is good to see that some of these guys Uh, from the Pistons' heyday are getting reintegrated back into the franchise, right? Uh, You know, Chauncey obviously cannot because he is the head coach of a different NBA team. Um, You know, and Tayshaun obviously cannot because he is part of the front office of a different NBA team. But it's good to see... uh, you see, like, Isaiah Thomas more involved in team activities. You see, uh, you know, he was at you know, the Hall of Fame ceremony with for, for Ben Wallace earlier this offseason with a lot of the Pistons front office and a lot of current Pistons, right? Like, Cade and Isaiah showed up for that. Um, you see, like, that stuff matters. Um, and I think that this is definitely, like, a when Troy Weaver talks about, like, having, like, good people around, like, Ben Wallace is an excellent person to have uh, around in your front office. Uh, absolutely. Um Sorry, I'm thinking about like a conversation uh, Taylor Rooks had with Allen Iverson a couple weeks ago about how frustrated AI is that like the front office in Philly never reached out to make him, you know, like a Sixers brand ambassador or something and never, never wanted him to come in and like pick it, pick his brain about um, the current slate of like NBA guys and or help mentor some guys. And I just think it's like really useful to have not only like ex players, but like ex-players with lasting legacies for your team uh, around to impart, like, knowledge on some of the younger dudes. And, you know, the the guys that they draft may come and go, but, like, that knowledge stays in-house. Like, I think that's something that's really important.
1: Yeah, and I like, too, um, you know, we talked about the title being pretty amorphous and ambiguous, but one thing to think about is, you know, Joe is obviously, as a player and as a general manager, president of operations and all that stuff, you know, has an amazing legacy, but on the other hand, you know, his time in Detroit ended in a way that makes it really difficult for the franchise to reconnect with him. Um, So I I kind of like the fact that this, this title is ambiguous. It's not necessarily a role in, you know, it doesn't suggest decision-making authority or anything like, like that. Right. It's just like, let's Mm -hmm. keep this knowledge and this experience internal to what we're trying to do and trying to build. But I also think that gives a little bit of a buffer between, you know, if this, You know, if this roster doesn't work out five years from now or something like that, it's not like there's burned bridges and burned reputations, right? And I think the way that things ended with Joe Dumars are just super unfortunate in that regard. Um, And I expressed some of those similar concerns when Chauncey Billups was rumored, you know, to be associated with the Pistons and a handful of different roles. So, you know, I kind of like the way this is playing out with Ben Wallace.
0: No, I agree. I agree. All right, Ben, on the court, or I guess on the bench. Uh, in the first preseason game for the Pistons this season, we didn't see Cade Cunningham and we didn't see Killian Hayes, and obviously that was pretty frustrating. Um, Killian participated in the open practice this weekend, so I presume we will see him in the preseason like sometime this season. Uh, Cade did not participate in the open practice this weekend, and so now it's maybe there's maybe this is a little bit worse than they're leading us to believe. Maybe this is. Uh, maybe they're just being ultra ultra cautious with the guy who is the new face of the franchise. So Ben, do you think we see Cade play a preseason game?
1: You know, I would love to see him play, but maybe not till the last one. Um, you know, we, I said, I wouldn't be worried unless he misses time. This doesn't technically count as missed time, right? Cause these games don't count, True. but at the same time he didn't play, which is a little bit, a little bit bizarre. And so maybe a little bit concerning, Um but yeah, let's let's hope for at least we could see him once. I, it would be great to see him get some real NBA competition or as close as it gets to real before the real thing starts. So, you know, maybe we see him that, that last regular season game buy him as much time as possible to get rid of any lingering pain um, before the season opener.
0: So today is the 10th. This podcast will release on the 11th. The last preseason game is October 15th you think he'll be ready to go in five days?
1: You know, who knows? I mean, they do have a whole bunch. It's weird. Like you said, Les, a whole bunch of other teams have had two, three preseason games already. The Pistons crammed it all the way the schedule fell into this, this second week. Um, so maybe I'm too optimistic, right, thinking he'll get one preseason game. And the 20th gives him a, a ten full days between now and them. So, yeah, maybe we don't see him, Les. And that would be disappointing. But if it means he's he's healthy on the 20th, then I guess we just sort of have to live with it
0: yeah the twentieth like you said is ten full days away, and everyone has said that he like uh they're not worried about this ankle injury and ankle injuries are fairly common um it appeared that he was like shooting at the open practice, just did not participate in the um in like the scrimmage portion, and it didn't do any drills so if if the ankle injury is what they're saying it is, like, I I wouldn't be surprised to see him only play like you said the last preseason game on the fifteenth, or only or the first time we see Kate is the first regular season game on the twentieth. But um, it is annoying as a, a consumer of the Pistons and a fan of the Pistons that we're uh, not getting more clarity about like when the next time we might see uh, Kate Cunningham actually is. Uh. But, you know, not really a whole lot you can do about that. Um, To talk about some guys that we did see play, though, Ben, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, still kind of good at basketball. Um, In the preseason game, he was six for 13 uh, for 19 points, two, four from three, six free throw attempts. We we talked about that earlier. Um, Had a lot of isolations uh, early in the third quarter, attacking San Antonio's small guards. I thought that was interesting. Um, what did you think of both the way Jeremy Grant played and the way that the Pistons uh, decided to, like, deploy Jeremy Grant in the first game of the preseason?
1: Yeah, well, I think to me the thing that stands out is five for six from the line in 24 minutes. I mean, getting six free throw attempts in just 24 minutes is obviously impressive. Um, You know, at the end of the season last year, he just looked fatigued to me, apprehensive to get to the rim, maybe too tired to explode. Um, You know, those concerns were obviously... Um, you know, not present at all in this first reason game. He looked healthy. He looked quick. Um, he looked great off the dribble and, he, you know, even look, looked good from deep. So I think, you know, his versatility as an offensive player really shined through. And again, really encouraged to see him get six free throw attempts. You know, he talked about that in the press conference media day about building his body, absorbing contact, those kinds of things. He certainly was not at all timid in his first preseason game. 19 points in 24 minutes, efficient, uh, very productive, very pleased with what I saw from, from Jeremy Grant's offense.
0: I think um, we we saw a lot of kind of Jeremy Grant fitting into the offense in the first half. I think that was when he made both of his three-pointers, mm. both of which were of the catch-and-shoot variety. Um, I did like to see that, and you know, again, making things easier for Jeremy Grant uh um, we saw a little bit of the two-man game with him and Kelly Olenek. That seems like that'll be fun. Kelly Olenek we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit on the podcast, I assure everybody. But that was that was fun to see. And then uh, in the third quarter, it was nice to see him take advantage of the, the matchup that the San Antonio was uh, presenting him. And I hope that that's something that uh, the Pistons can take advantage of when it presents itself, but don't necessarily feel like they have to lean on, right? I didn't, um, like as it was happening, I was making a note like, oh man, they're they're isolating Jeremy on the left block a lot against Derek white. And like, it's working, but like, I hope this isn't a thing that we see all the time uh, during the regular season, but it's, you know, maybe just a mismatch thing. Um, and it worked. So why, why not go to it a couple of times? So yeah, it was relieving. It's good to see Jeremy Grant still be good at basketball. Um,
1: yeah. You know, we didn't get to see him a lot. Um, this summer at the Olympics. Right. And I I wasn't at all concerned about that being about him or his health or anything, Uh, but it was just nice to see him looking spry and healthy and rested. And just, you know, I think being able to have some other ball handlers who obviously we did not see in the first preseason game, hopefully helps with some of that progressive fatigue because I, I really do think that was a big part of why we saw some of those efficiency numbers dropping over the last 20, 30 games.
0: That's a good point. We hadn't seen that version, of a year version of Jeremy since, like, February
1: of this year.
0: And so, like, it's it's been a while since we've seen that guy. Um, yeah. So, and uh, another guy that we saw that was looking like a different type of player entirely mm-hmm. was Sadiq Bey. Uh, Sadiq Bey was 5 of 11 for 13 points in 24 minutes. Only 1 of 4 from 3. Um, shot 2 free throws. But... Did a lot more with the ball in his hands. He had three assists in his 24 minutes. He, uh, shout out to Detroit Bad Boys user Crossside, purveyor of uh, many spreadsheets. Uh, noted that Sadiq only had three assists 11 uh, times last year. So to see him uh, dish out three assists in the first preseason game was like definitely like very eye-opening. Um, we saw Sadiq carve out space uh, with his upper body, just using his strength to, to bully guys uh, in the half court ben uh what like did you like the more uh versatile version of sadiq bay that we saw
1: oh yeah absolutely and you know what i was thinking Laz, um i forget i was going to look this up and i forgot um one of the dvb contributors i think it might have been bryce um, this week did a little bit of a breakdown of what we saw in the first game and talked about Bay as potentially sort of a hub in the mid post And, you know, as I was watching Sadiq, what it reminded me of a little bit was sort of shades of Marcus Morris when he was with the Pistons. Um, You know, Sadiq is obviously a much better shooter than Marcus was comparatively at this time in their careers, but I mean that in the best possible way. You know, Marcus Morris is a guy who has carved out a really fantastic niche in the NBA, has had a very long and productive career and it just sort of what it reminded me of, you know, those Stan Van Gundy teams who lean so heavily on Marcus Morris in the mid post kind of bully ball offense. It it just saw a little bit of that in Sadiq Bay. And I think that's encouraging. He's clearly developing into more than just a three and D guy, uh, adding a level of um, offense that I think is a bit rare, right? I mean, it, You know, 10, 15 years ago, it was so common to see guys emulating their perimeter players, emulating their games around like a Kobe Bryant, right? Like the 15 to 18 foot mid post fadeaways, those sorts of things. And that's sort of given way to the Damian Lillards, the Steph Currys, you know, the guys who can shoot from 40 feet away, practically on command. So I think there's an opportunity for Sadiq to sort of carve out a similar sort of role and exploit uh, defenses who aren't necessarily prepared or equipped to deal with, you know, a perimeter guy who can stretch you out and out down the three, but also very strong um, and, and can beat you up a little bit in the post. So very encouraged with what I saw from Sadiq Bay. looking forward to more of it because, you know, look, I mean, think about when we get Killian and Cade back, if Sadiq also has the ability to initiate his own offense, you're talking about four out of your starting five who have that capacity. Last, we haven't seen that for the Pistons in a really long time.
0: No, definitely, and we also got some reports from the open practice that Sadiq was looking fantastic there as well, doing much the the same thing he was in the preseason against the Spurs, but just looking even more effective uh, against the the other Detroit Pistons. Marcus Morris is a good comparison. I know people kind of often make the um, people kind of often use Chris Middleton as the. Uh, six eight, not overly athletic. Uh, framework for everybody else, but I like the I like the Marcus Morris comparison a little bit more, just because uh, Morris is a worse player than Middleton, and so it offers a more uh, realistic uh, expectation of like what a mid range, mid post, Sadiq Bay uh, game might look like. Um, I really like that. Really like I really like the passing. Um, the the three assists, one of them was a really nice dump off to Isaiah Stewart. Um, something that I, I think like displays a level of uh, anticipation in what the defense is and how the defense is going to react to your movement that um, we did not see very often from Sadiq last year. And so to see that, that flash happen basically like within the first two minutes of the preseason was really encouraging. Um, I do hope that we still see uh, a good number of like Catch and shoot threes from Sadiq, though he's one of four from three. Um, did not it look. It looks like he's still kind of focusing on uh, taking those movement threes, those coming off a screen or like a one dribble, one dribble pull up three. Um, you know when, and I, I like. I hope that like when Cade and Killian both return, um, you know he will be it'll give, be given more opportunity to take just like catch and shoot open corner threes. But um, I would hate to gain uh, like a lot of like craft and versatility in the mid post from Sadiq, but have that come at the expense of, you know, another, you know, two and a half threes a game at, you know, a 38% clip. Right. Mm. Yeah. So totally I, I want to make sure we, we strike that balance, but I am also like, you know, very encouraged by what we saw from Sadiq, uh, so far this preseason, one guy who I was less encouraged by, and I can't quite really put, uh, can't really frame like why exactly was was Isaiah Stewart. I'm just gonna read my notes for Isaiah Stewart. He had two threes in the first quarter, and then I noted that like he hasn't been very decisive on defense. And then I noted that they were like they were using him in different ways. They were switching, and then um, they were switching like one through five, and then just kind of letting uh you know Sadiq or Jeremy kind of try the gang rebounding, and like that didn't work. They ended up getting killed on the boards, and. He wasn't really able to operate uh, as a role man, and like part of that is definitely due to the lack of Caden Killian. I'm sure that would make things easier, but you know, all in all, is just a really weird preseason game for Isaiah Stewart. Only five points, uh, quote unquote, quote unquote, only eight rebounds. Uh, one of the few starters with a negative plus minus. Ben, what'd you make of Isaiah Stewart's first preseason game?
1: Yeah, he didn't really have a good game. I think everything you called out is totally and completely fair. Um, you know, I, I think he's still figuring out his offense. Um, you know, the, the threes that he took, I don't think were necessarily bad looks, um, but they didn't they didn't particularly look very good either. Yeah, he, he banked one in, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think the other one, he I think the one he missed, did he, did he bank miss a shot too? I'm not hundred percent sure, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't look comfortable offensively. Um, he didn't look like a guy who had spent an entire summer you know, developing his offensive skill set. Now, obviously he did, right? We're just evaluating the the 24 or whatever minutes. Well, that he I mean, he,
0: he did have the ankle injury, right? And that did, I think, play a part in... Um, he got it at playing with the USA Select team. Obviously, didn't didn't participate in, uh, in Summer League. Yeah, you and, are. you know, immediately they were saying he was, like, just recovering from the ankle injury. So maybe that played a role?
1: Fair enough, yeah. Well, you know, either way, offensively, I think... I still sort of think, especially given the way that the roster has rounded itself out, you know, the offense that you're getting from Isaiah Stewart is the bonus. I think what you're looking for is for him to dominate the defensive glass. This is clearly a weakness of the roster. And Isaiah Stewart's going to have to kind of be a beast uh, on the defensive boards. You know, defensively, you called out, they're still working things out. I think we talked about that a week ago. What are they going to do with him? terms of his lateral foot speed that's still very much a work in progress and i would not be at all surprised to see if they continue experimenting over the next three preseason games but yeah stewart didn't look great um but look it's one game there's there's a still 10 days there's three more games for him to round into form and it look it's never easy coming back from injury maybe it's just as simple as that and we don't need to overanalyze too much
0: no that's fair i i also Like I agree with everything you said. One more thing I want to note is that in addition to Caden Killian making his life easier offensively on the roll, um, we saw like a level of defensive intensity, especially from Killian, uh, in summer league that I think would have helped uh, in the preseason, right? Um, If if guards recover uh, easier from dribble penetration, or you know just don't allow or just like wall up and don't allow guys into the paint Uh it makes you know playing you know playing both sides of the of the pick and roll uh, definitely a lot easier on your big men and I think that that's something that like you know we're gonna we're gonna see better defense from Caden Killian than we saw from like Rodney McGruder in the in the first preseason <laughs> game and so like no 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 shade to Rodney it's just like that that's how it's going to be Um, And so, you know, better perimeter defense will, will help your bigs. And so when Caden killing him back, I expect Isaiah to to play better on the defensive end as well.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
0: Uh next up was the bench, just like the entire bench. The the offense was really humming with like Kelly and Linux and Corey Joseph out there, Ben. Um both Olinick and Joseph had six assists. Um on rewatch, a lot of Olenek's assists in particular were like two Josh Jackson, and then like Josh would like take a bunch of dribbles and hit a mid range jumper, and it's like, okay, that's good, but like I don't I don't necessarily want to rely on that. But uh but there's no denying uh, the the way the ball moved and the way guys moved when uh, Kelly Olynyk and Corey Joseph were on the floor together. So Ben, what did you think of that bench duo?
1: Surprised in a positive <laughs> way, right? Like I mean, Kelly Olynyk, Kelly Olynyk definitely looked good. Uh, he is a goofy looking dude and he plays in a very goofy way, but extremely productive. Um, you know, and, and Corey Joseph, a guy who continues to surprise me with how productive he is. Like, you know, last season it got painful watching him dribble the bear out, air out of the ball at times, but still, I mean, he was effective point guard, and that's what we've seen over and over with with Dwayne Casey. And he played like that again uh, in the preseason game. I think, you know, on those nights where Josh Jackson is knocking down shots, that second unit is actually going to be a bit of a problem. I think, right? Um, the thing I like about Corey Joseph and Kelly Olenek in that second unit is they kind of get the ball out of Josh's hands and keep him from being his own worst enemy, right? Because I think when he gets cold, he presses. And so maybe you get two older veterans out there to kind of even some of that out, which which I think is a a positive thing. Last, Last week, you also called out Um, The defensive versatility when you've got Josh Jackson and Hamid Diallo out there at the same time, I I think we saw a little bit of that in preseason game one. Um, I recall a couple passes getting deflected just because of that length and athleticism. And I like that both of those dudes, Hamid Hami and Josh are going to run, right? Like they want to get out on the break and run whenever they have the opportunity to. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I think that the second unit could actually be Pretty difficult. Um, it, it's going to depend a little bit on shooting, and we've got some streakiness in here. In, and in all, I think Linick, Hami, and Josh Jackson, you've got a little bit of streakiness there all together on all three of them. But yeah, I mean, it, very pleasantly surprised with what I saw out of that five man unit for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, when when Josh is hitting shots like that, uh, his game is just like very aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kelly Linick was much. Much better as just kind of a ball mover than I expected. I expected Kelly Linick to finish a lot more plays, and he did, right? Like he had what well, he had like eighteen points or something like that. Um so he took a good amount of shots. But the the six assists, like I I joked that like half of them are Josh Jackson, like mid-ranger shots. But um the the way he moved the ball just kind of let me know that you know, we might not expect him to average four assists like Mason Plumlee did, but um, the offense will definitely, like, be more smooth around Kelly Olenek um, in, in that bench lineup uh, than uh, than Plumlee. Um, the spacing was really apparent. Uh, I noted this on Twitter. Um, There's a lot of – it was very apparent that just, like, the middle of the paint was wide open if you could get to it uh, between, you know, Kelly setting high screens and uh, – you know, Trey Lyle spacing the floor from the wing and um, you know Josh Jackson uh, hitting shots so guys actually had to close out to him. It's like the only real non-shooting threat on the floor was Hamadou, who didn't have a particularly like great game offensively, but it he also like didn't let that uh, you know overtake what he was able to contribute defensively and um, like didn't press too hard uh, either. I thought that was important to see out of him. I know he probably is a guy who wants a larger role, but um, to not press and just take what take what's being given when the when the bench is like you know humming as much as it does, you don't want to uh, throw things in, into whack uh, as part of the, that unit. But yeah, I, I don't know how I started talking about Hammy, but yeah, Kelly Olenek was really good is uh, good in all the ways that uh, it was explained that he would be good, so it shouldn't be surprising, but it was just like. It was just very noticeable. This was just like, oh, this, this is like really going to work. Um, and we also saw Kelly like integrated into the into a lineup next to the starters a little bit. Talked about the, the partnership. Yeah, with Jeremy Grant. Um, that was really cool. We did not see the Kelly Olenek Isaiah Stewart lineup. Um, and I will be curious to see if we see a little of that in the preseason, especially given that, like, you know, with minute limits, um, it makes a lot more sense to play both of your centers together, uh, when no one's going to play over 25 minutes. Um, and so I hope we, we see that in the not too distant future. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it was fun. It was fun in a way that I wasn't expecting, right? Like I like you was also very anno- annoyed with Corey Joseph last year. And so to have him be the product of joy was just, uh, <laughs> was very surprising to
1: me. Well, shout out to Trey Lyles. I mean, I feel like he was dedicating every three to last. He's like, right. I'm open. This one's for you Back Yeah. Get- down
0: he hit three corner threes and I was like, you know what? If he hits three out of four threes, like I'm going to like him, Right. He's not going to do that every single <laughs> game. But uh, that was, I was also definitely noted. Um, yeah. The, the spacing element was nice and it was definitely necessary. We, I've, I've, I did find my, because I have been so critical of Trey Lyles. I wanted to be not nice to him, but just like, you know, observe what he was doing. And I did just kind of think like, Okay, if that was Seku out there, no offense to Seiku, <laughs> right but like the it it wouldn't you wouldn't get the same level of spacing you wouldn't get the same level of uh of offensive like utility right like Seku was a really good cutter trey Lyles does not cut um but you know things with another non-shooter out there things would be more gummed up for the bench unit and it was just all the spacing was just amazing mm-hmm. so it was like yeah you you're not gonna get that without the the stretch guy like Trey Lyles and so like yeah good good on Trey good on Trey um what do you think of Saban Lee? Saban Lee started this game um because again no no K no Killian and uh, Dwayne said that he wanted to preserve kind of that five-man bench unit together um so Saban ended up starting and ended up uh almost dunking on somebody again <laughs> uh, and getting one nice dunk in transition had some nice deflections but didn't really uh, wow me offensively. We talked about the the struggles getting Isaiah Stewart the ball and pick and roll. That was a you know Sabin was a culprit of that. Uh, what do you think of uh, Sabin Lee as the starter, Ben?
1: You know, I want to tell Sabin Lee that he doesn't have to keep playing for his contract because he's already got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to tell Sabin Lee. You know what I'm saying? Like he he just needs to to calm down a little bit. And not worry about justifying his value, and, and as cliche as it sounds, like let let the game slow down a little bit and, and just play into your role. Um, I I am curious to see what that role is going to be though. Um, when we talk about that that five man unit off the bench, you know, is is Saban the odd man out of that? Does he find a way to play himself into that? maybe that's why he feels the need to press a little bit. Um, But I felt like this about him in summer league. I I just felt like he was trying too hard to justify his position on the roster and he ended up just pressing Um, that said, I love his aggressiveness. I love that he tries to dunk on people. Um, You know, that sort of aggression from a young guard is an obviously a very good sign, but just you know calm down a little let let the game come to you a little bit more rather than trying to to press every time you have the ball in your hands i think what
0: you're noting about him not being fully in control of like how to dictate pace as an as like the leader of an offense i think that's why we will see him in grand or not in grand rapids uh, but playing for the motor city cruise uh, to start the year i mean like Again, it's also kind of a numbers game. Corey Joseph, Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Frank Jackson, uh, Josh Jackson, Hamidu Diallo—like these are all guys who are going to play. And so, if you want Saban to develop, it makes a lot of sense for him to play with the Motor City Cruise. Um, and I think the cruise will be a good experience for him. In you know, it'll be an exercise in learning how to find that rhythm offensively without looking over his shoulder because he will definitely like be one of the guys for, for that team. Um, I was, I was uh, not overly impressed with what Saban had to offer this preseason. And like, I suspect we will see more of Saban um, in better spaced or in like in differently spaced lineups. We'll probably see him like next to Corey Joseph sometime in the preseason. Um, and you remember, you the Saban Lee Killian Hayes lineups uh, had some success last year, um, and so like yeah, you know this wasn't Saban's greatest game, and I don't think, um, I don't think he starts the year you know on the being the twelfth or thirteenth guy for Detroit. I think he starts it being the starting point guard for the Cruz. But you know, like you mentioned, like he's got a three year deal, right? Like this, this is not the the playing starting point guard for the Motor City Cruise is not like the end of Saban Lee's like NBA dream, and so I think um, the cruise will be good for him. Absolutely. Uh, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, now we got to like just the the team as a whole. Uh, Pistons were twelve of twelve of thirty four from three. Um, not I was pleased that they weren't like over reliant on three-point attempts as part of their offense. We heard, you know, spacing, spacing, spacing the entire offseason, and so it was good to see them uh, not take, like, a ridiculous amount of threes. Um, it was interesting that only Trey Lyles made more than two threes, right? Like, we talked about Sadiq uh, uh you know, only going one for four, Jeremy going two for four, um, and I think Kelly hit two, but um, you know, just the, the distribution of those threes was kind of up and down the roster. And then the other thing I noted, Ben, was they made 7 of the 12 threes that they made for the entire game in the first quarter. Wow. And so, I
1: didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, and so that's only 5 other threes for the rest of the game. Is like not going to get it done. But on the whole, like I liked what the offense was doing. And so Ben, like do you think this with with the continued emphasis on spacing that we've gotten from the coaching staff in the front office. Um, like, do you think this team will be more like it'll be, you think it will be more like the first quarter or do you think it'd be more like the other three quarters?
1: Well, spacing is a means to an end, right? Spacing is not the end in itself. The, the goal of space is to give your ball handlers and shot creators and playmakers ability to do what they do best. And so to the extent that spacing impacted Jeremy Grant's ability to get six free throw attempts in 24 minutes, then spacing worked, right? It did what it was supposed to do. Um, Kelly Olenek, six assists from your, your primary big man. And that's an addition to his efficient scoring. Uh, you know, maybe that's attributable to spacing. Trey Lyle's getting frankly four pretty wide open looks, right? That That's spacing working. So um, you know, to the extent that spacing is creating some of this other stuff, I, th- I think that's really, really good. If you contrast that with what we saw out of the Pistons a year ago, they were too reliant on the three-point shot, I think, and that's why we saw so many ups and downs, because unless you're, you know, Steph Curry or Damian Lillard, three-point shooting is inconsistent, so you're going to have games where your whole roster is cold, and that's going to be a really ugly offensive output, but If you're using spacing to create things other than three-point shots or in addition to open three-point shots, then I think you have the capacity to be a little bit more consistent from game to game, you know, especially if it's generating free throw attempts, which are still the most efficient way to score uh, in all of basketball. So, um, you know, I would be all for that three-point shot number staying a little bit down from where it was a season ago when you're talking about, you know, per-game three-point attempts, if it means that those other offensive tools are being used, uh, because I think they're a little more consistent, if they're being used to uh, to produce efficient and effective offense. And I think, you know, we, we didn't even see two of the primary ball handers, right? We didn't even see Killian and Cade yet. And what they would potentially be able to do with, with some of that space. So that's the thing I want to keep in mind. You know, spacing is not an end of itself, right? It, it's a, a it's a tool that you use to produce other things. And uh, you know, I think we saw a little little previews into what that could mean uh, for some of the offensive weapons the Pistons have on the roster this year. Okay, okay,
0: what? What did you think of getting murdered on the glass to the tune of getting (laughs)
1: out-rebounded by 14 rebounds? Okay, so this is obviously the thing I like the least. Um, It's a roster deficiency to some degree. Yeah, that's true. Um, No amount of effort or trying hard (laughs) is going to fix this because if rebounding were simply a matter of trying hard, there would be a lot more really good rebounders, right? Because the NBA is full of incredibly athletic and talented men who are not good rebounders. Um, you know, that's the one knock I would have about Jeremy Grant. Two, I think it was two rebounds, if I remember correctly, in 24 minutes. You, you just need more than that. You just need more than that from your starting four, if that's where he continues to line up. And I, I think all signs point to that. You know, Kelly Olynyk really fun to watch offensively. Not a fantastic rebounder. Um, and then, you know, look, the, Killian and Kate are going to help. I mean, Killian, that's one of the things he did really well a season ago, which was so impressive to me. He plays every part of the game, including the defensive glass, which is just a luxury to have in your point guard. So I think those two guys are going to help some, but, uh, you know, defensive rebounding is part of defense. So you can play the perfect defensive set and fail to secure the defensive rebound and it's all for nothing. Uh, and I think, you know, the Pistons just got straight up destroyed by a team that when you look at the Spurs roster, like I don't know, I don't look at that roster and think, wow, that's a great rebounding team, right? So mm-hmm. this is gonna be an ongoing concern, potentially a bit of a limiting factor to how good they can be defensively, because again, defensive rebounding, not the most important part of defense, but if you don't rebound, um, you know, you can undo a lot of the good things that you're doing otherwise defensively so yeah this is a problem uh it's gonna be a weakness and there's just you know the coaching staff can't solve this this is a roster level problem and I, i i think they're just gonna have to do the best that they can but probably expect to get out rebounded quite a bit this season
0: i liked the conspiracy theory <laughs> uh pushed by some members of the Detroit Bad Boys uh message board that the roster deficiency on rebounding is a way to stealthily ensure that the Pistons lose a lot of games that they otherwise might not and uh it's like secure a high draft pick that way um that that tickled my fancy I enjoyed that compar- conspiracy theory good job guys um it was it was definitely frustrating to me to like it's one thing to have a roster limitation right as a as a team who you know doesn't have an amazing rebounder on the team or in the starting lineup say it's another thing to see like uh isaiah stewart switch out on primary ball handlers contest the shot and then you are relying on uh like ryan Magruder mcgruder and saban lee to box out and get gang rebounds that way it's like that That doesn't seem like like schematically. That doesn't seem like it's going to work. And so I think if this team, you know, rebounding is a part of defense, like you said, if this team wants to be better on a rebounding wise, they're going to have to keep that in mind when they draw up like their defensive schemes. Um, Yes, it's it's also funny to me that like we've talked a lot about Troy Weaver kind of restoring this team, this team, um, you know, trying to emulate. Some of those, uh, you know, great Pistons teams, but uh, one thing all those Pistons c- teams could do is grab a rebound. And this team uh, can't do that. Uh, speaking of rebounding being a roster deficiency, when I brought up the fact that we would bring the rebounding up as a discussion point on the podcast, Ben, you know what you did? You replied. <laughs> you replied with a GIF of Luca Garza. And so, how do you think Luca Garza? Would uh, impact the rebounding deficiency that we saw uh, through the first three and a half quarters. And did you like what you saw out of Garza in the last like six or seven minutes that he played?
1: Oh, I'm I'm cheering. I am pulling for Luca Garza, um, but I mean, I think the scouting reports are right. Um, he's got an uphill battle ahead of him. Um, he is slow. He doesn't move well, and he's going to be a, a significant weakness defensively. I don't think we necessarily saw the counterbalance of that, which is, you know, the hope that he can score efficiently in the post. We didn't necessarily see that in his limited time. So, you know, if he's going to make a difference for this team, it's going to be on the defensive glass. And if he's going to be able to stay on the floor, he's going to have to be able to produce offensively to make up for some of that um, weakness defensively. Now, to his credit, I think he did end up with two block shots, which I liked to see. But also, uh, you know, he got dunked on once or twice, too, which which just sort of highlighted the fact that he doesn't have the verticality or the lateral speed to stay in in front of even second, third string NBA big men. So I'm still I'm still pulling for him. I want him to be successful. But look, I think the scouts are right. He's he's going to have to do some really serious work uh, defensively and able to just in order for a coach to be able to justify his minutes.
0: No. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a great point.
0: It was someone on the board said that he looked even slower in person, and <laughs> I was like, I don't know how that is even possible. Like, he, he does not move very well laterally. There is a, not a real need to belabor the point, but yeah, I mean, if the I think when I talked about you know limiting the scheme to make up for the fact that the team is not like well suited to rebound um like Garza plays like right into that right because of his defensive limitations um you would dare not have Luca Garza switch out onto a primary ball handler and contest a shot because the shot he would be contesting would be from behind because the guy would drive right past <laughs> him so i think that that should be kind of a lesson is to um you know, in that way like they would keep keep Garza in a deep drop Um, Just have him kind of protect the rim, have him do what he does best on that end. Um, I think that should be a lesson for the rest of the uh, defensive centers on the roster. Just keep them, give them, put them in position to succeed rather than uh, like ask them to do things they can't. And I understand like the need for growth and everything out of Stewart in particular, but um, it's going to be hard to grow uh, if you keep giving up offensive rebounds. I'll say. Uh, I think that's everyone that I really wanted to talk about in the preseason. Uh, was there anybody that I missed that you like really really wanted to see? You like that like one Jamarco Pickett uh, pull up jumper, Ben?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was amazing, amazing yeah. pull up jumper. No, but I, what I do like, Laz, and I want to flag this: you had that you pulled that quote from Corey Joseph about Team Canada. I think that's that's worth reading because that did not occur to me at all while we were watching the game in real time. That
0: is a good point. The Pistons have three Canadians on the team, and in the three Canadians on the team, in Corey Joseph, Kelly Olenek, and Trey Lyles, and Corey Joseph said after the game, um, "We're all more experienced in the second unit because we've we've been playing for a while." And I have a lot of experience with Kelly and Trey playing with Team Canada, so I didn't I didn't realize that that kind of played a factor. But yeah, like we we got three Canadians and they got the Canadian like mind melt thing going on uh, in the second unit. Um, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. And
1: fun. Yeah, and I think it's the first time I've ever actually thought about Team Canada's basketball ever. So that was that was interesting.
0: They they are ascendant. They uh, didn't make the qualifiers. This Olympics, but between uh, like Shea Gilligus Alexander and like Andrew Wiggins and Nikhil Alexander Walker, like they uh, and RJ RJ Barrett, that's that's who I'm missing. Like oh, they yeah. have yep. they have a lot of uh, young upstart guys, and they expect to be a uh, world basketball power in the uh, not too distant future. So yeah, Team Canada is coming.
1: Well, and shout out to a lot of our Canadian DB beers. I think. The ascendance of Toronto under Kawhi Leonard sort of pulled some of those Pistons fans back up north, but I think they're coming back. Given that Toronto's got a long way out of itself, and uh, Pistons just managed to pull Cade Cunningham, so you know, welcome back, Canadian Detroit fans. We we you are part of the family, and we love to have you.
0: Uh, we haven't talked about this, Ben. I'm a big fan of Toronto uh, this season. I like really
1: yeah. interesting. Okay,
0: I like. I like the Precious Achua pickup in the Kyle Lowry trade. They really needed a center, and he could do a lot of different things. He really impressed me uh, playing for Team Nigeria in the uh, in the Olympic qualifiers. Um, I like the Scotty Barnes uh, pickup in the draft. Like I at first, I was just as confused as everybody else as to why they didn't pick up Jalen Suggs, but now like seeing him in action during the preseason, I totally get it. It makes a lot of sense, and he's a uh, very, very intriguing player. Um in a way that I didn't in a way that like I was probably not as uh in a, in tune with during the pre-draft process just because like I didn't think he would be a good piston. And so I didn't really pay that much attention to him. Um and then yeah OG and Anubi uh flashing a lot more offensive skill than uh he has in the previous seasons and like they they're gonna play a lot of defense they're gonna play some really funky different kinds of defense under nick nurse they're gonna run up and down the floor uh they're just gonna be fun to watch in my opinion so i'm a i'm a i'm curious to see what the uh, raptors end up doing i think they end up uh better than where a lot of people have them currently slated that said i will still be annoyed when they fill up like three bands of three buses full of fans drive (laughs) south and invade Little Caesars Arena. That will not be fun. Oh, I didn't mention. Speaking of Little Caesars Arena, I didn't type this, but I meant to. What do you think of the new court, Ben? The blue, the blue trim on the baseline and around the uh, entirety of the court instead of the red.
1: You know what? I don't think I realized it.
0: People were uh, people were very thrown at-, at first.
1: I'm gonna go back and look because I don't think I I don't think it registered with me because I watched this um, I watched the game on DVR, so I I wasn't participating in the the conversation in real time i'm gonna to have to go back and look because yeah that boy yeah that is a diversion from what it's been for a long time so i'm gonna to have to go check that out yeah
0: the i will note the same thing i noted earlier uh, i like the blue it is different it some people 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 were divided i like the fact that it uh makes the pistons look a little bit less like a team occupying a Red Wings arena, which is what they were.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes.
0: I'm a big fan of anything that's like, I, I, you know, love and respect the Red Wings, but like, you know, if you share a building, like it should should feel distinctive.
1: Oh yeah. I see it. I see it now. I just pulled it up. You're right. That is jarring. Yeah. Very different. Yeah.
0: How'd you not see that? I don't
1: know. It just didn't (laughs) register with me while I was watching it, but I see it. It is very clear. And very jarring. So uh,
0: what are are your initial thoughts then? Live, what are are your initial Uh, thoughts?
1: You know, okay, so I'm going to pull out something from my work life. I'm always very in tune to the color red because it can be very difficult for people who have um, any sort of reading or visual disability. It's something I learned a long time ago because I I screwed up and used red and kind of got my hand slapped rightfully for it. I doubt that that has anything to do with it. It's probably more about crafting an identity and a brand. Um, You know, I will say that probably by the end of this season, I won't care. But it it definitely feels weird. It definitely feels weird. You know what? It kind of reminds me of the first time I watched um, Brooklyn. I think it is. They have like when you watch a Brooklyn game, the color of their court just is so disorienting at first. That's kind of what this reminds me of. It just doesn't feel, it feels wrong, but you don't, I didn't necessarily notice it until you pointed out. It feels wrong right now, but yeah, I, I think over time it ain't not to matter.
0: Yeah. Everybody will get used to it
1: eventually. Yeah, for sure. The Brooklyn callout is a good point too, because I think, is their floor gray? Yeah, it's, it's so strange. And I remember the first time I watched it, you know, in HD and it was like, whoa, what is happening here? But then once your eyes get tuned into it I think it actually looks really cool and, and it's really distinct right it's 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 its own thing that sort of gives you like okay this is our court right like you wouldn't mistake this for anyone else so.
0: no that makes that makes a ton of sense all right Ben the Pistons play Memphis on Monday the Knicks on Wednesday and the Sixers on Thursday is that that can't wait is that is that a back-to-back Oh my God! No, they play the Knicks on. Uh, no, they play the Knicks on Wednesday, and the Sixers on Friday. Oof, I was about to say a preseason back to back. Come That's on, rough. guys,
1: that is rough. Uh,
0: what are you going to be looking out to see uh, with the final three preseason games?
1: Well, will Ben Simmons be a Piston by Friday the 15th? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Um, look, does Cade Cunningham play or not? How does he look if he does play? Secondarily, same question for Killian Hayes. You know, other than that, you know, it's just about experimenting and seeing what some of these guys have. You know, keep doing what they did in game one, and honestly, I'll be happy. Just integrate Cade and Killian into that. And, and uh, you know, that, that's what everyone wants to see, and I'm right there with everyone else.
0: There's one more name you didn't mention that I will bring up. Uh, Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson apparently oh, yeah. Frank, yeah. crushed it at the open practice on Saturday. And so – I will also be curious to see if uh, what, what Frank Jackson has to offer in the preseason. Um, a guy who played a big role in, on this team last year, and there is a you know crunch of minutes at the wing position. And the bench unit we saw looked really good together and had a lot of chemistry. Um, and so like, can can they integrate Frank Jackson into that without breaking something? I've... He
1: actually makes that second unit a little scarier, right? Like, I mean, you get yeah, that second unit can be a problem, man. I'm telling you, it it really could
0: yeah definitely all right ben let the people know where they can find you where they can find what uh what you've been up to
1: at br golker on twitter looking forward to uh the season with all you guys it's going to be a lot of fun i think regardless of wins and losses no i i agree wholeheartedly
0: and uh we'll all get used to the court together Mm -hmm. uh you can do that uh you can follow me on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e thank you all for listening uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Bad Bell. whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the
1: preseason last. Doesn't count. Oh we'll just rewind that real quick.
0: Uh this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See ya.